Good day, everybody. It's, uh, it's an Easter Monday in my life as I'm recording this. And I've just come back from a holiday where I spent a wonderful, wonderful week in Durban with my family, with all my kids and my wife, and uh, uh, just celebrating Easter and uh, celebrating the togetherness of family and just the wonderful privilege of being able to be together and to love each other and to live this life and to break bread together and drink wine together, uh, literally and figuratively speaking. Uh, Yeah, just celebrating life, celebrating love, celebrating Jesus, celebrating the resurrected Jesus. And I know for many this is still difficult to believe you know we say we believe it but if we really think about the resurrected Jesus it's it's really a hectic story you know it's it's a hectic piece of history Um, and sometimes I think we struggle to just really make it our own anyway I've had a great Easter weekend and a good break and as I'm recording this program which will as well as a podcast on Polished Arrow on SoundCloud, uh, I'm I'm excited. You know, this this morning I just spent some time and I read through uh, all the different gospel uh, presentations of of the whole resurrection story, and it's interesting how how they actually portray it in in such different ways. You know, Matthew really runs through the. Uh, the bottom line. Uh, Mark as well, he has a very quick explanation of what's going on and Luke gives more details and John gives more details and and uh, you, you try and put it all together, uh, you know, and uh, I read through each one probably three or four times trying to just absorb what happened here and, and post-resurrection Jesus and post-resurrection encounters with Jesus, and just contemplating how fantastic it really was. And I saw some patterns there and some things that I uh, find quite inspiring and encouraging. And I thought today, let's just run through a couple of these stories. I don't have one big message. I just think it's good to run through these stories and just to absorb uh, what we can from these stories. So let's start the conversation with a very, very quick uh, summary of a sort of a pattern that I uh, saw through all all these encounters, and uh, and and it's it's the following. Very briefly, every time Jesus presents himself, um, every time or nearly every time, um, whoever is involved don't recognize him, or the Bible sometimes says their eyes were shut. Uh, it's as if God didn't allow them to recognize him. Um, Then in some way they engaged or interacted with this person who who was Jesus, who they didn't realize was Jesus. It was a conversation or whatever. Uh, And then in that engagement, he ultimately shows himself to them or their eyes are opened or he did something crazy. Uh, And they're like, oh, it's it's him, you know, and, and that's then the the realization. That's the final thing that you sort of see in this pattern. There's a realization that oh, it's Jesus, or there's doubt, which it totally makes sense if you think about it. Put yourself in these people's shoes, and 
you know, ask yourself, you know, would you have doubted or just totally believed it at the first moment? Uh, but we'll talk about Thomas's doubt a bit later in this conversation. So let's start off with some encounters at the tomb. Uh, the first and the most, one of the most well-known encounters is that of Mary. So this is Mary Magdalene, who, you know, during Jesus' life on earth, had a very special encounter with Jesus, and he totally freed her spirit and her soul and her whole being. And, and you know, she was a, a very committed disciple of Jesus, and, uh, and I believe they had a very special friendship. So here she is, going to the tomb, and the tomb is empty. The stone is rolled away, and she's totally freaked out. There's also this angel who explains things to her. Uh, and, and then she goes out and uh, she sees the gardener, who looks like a gardener. Why would she have thought he's the gardener if he didn't look like a gardener? And he asks her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, I'm quoting this, John 20, uh, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. And then Jesus, the gardener, said to her, Mary. And at that moment, she realized, at that moment, she recognized. She turned towards him and he cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And I just love this moment. I just want to drink in this moment of recognition. This, this moment, for her, it was very quick. Some of the others took a while before they realized. But I really believe she had such a deep emotional um, connection with Jesus that she only needed a little bit. And he gave her a little bit. And there was this post-resurrection moment of connection um, that launched her into a next level, next season uh, of her life. And then Jesus says to her, do not hold on to me for I have not yet ascended to the Father. He says, do not hold on to me. Do not keep this. Do not hold me back. Do not hold this for yourself. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I'm ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. So he says, go and tell this. You know, and, and he intros um, the whole Matthew 28 thing, go and make disciples. He intros this thing for her, telling me it's not something you can hold for yourself. Go and share, and immediately go and share. And then she does that. And she runs to the disciples with the news, and hear how she says it. I have seen the Lord. And she told them uh, what had happened and what he had said. And there's a sense of personal encounter. And out of that personal encounter, she says, I have seen the Lord. Now remember that phrase, because that's a phrase I want us to wrap up with later. We're going to ask the question later, you know, have you seen the Lord? Have I seen the Lord? And where is that taking me? So another story recorded in, in uh, John 20 is Peter and John running to the tomb. Mary had told them that Jesus was gone. 
run into the tomb. Uh, John got there first, actually, but didn't go in. I've, I've never read this before. He, he got there first, but didn't go in. He stayed outside. Then Peter, you know, nothing stops Peter. He comes there, he arrives, a bit slower than John, though, but he gets there and immediately goes in and sees Jesus is gone. You don't, you don't really know what went through Peter's mind as he was there absorbing this moment. Um, but in the midst of his absorbing of this moment, John eventually enters as well. Um, and the Bible explains it as follows. He says, Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. Period. Full stop. Now, please hear this correctly. He saw and believed even though he didn't see. All he saw was the empty space. He didn't actually see Jesus in the flesh. He saw nothing, and that was enough for him to believe. He saw the empty tomb, and he believed. All right, let's hold on to that. Then there's another interesting story of two uh, gentlemen. Who are, the one whose name was Cleopas. You don't read much about Cleopas in the Bible, but in Luke 24 we read how he and another fellow was on their way to Emmaus. And uh, they met with this person. They were actually, as they were walking, discussing the events of the previous few days um, you know, contemplating what had happened, yeah, and, and uh, you know, that's what, you can just imagine, this is all people were talking about. It was all over. It was like the American election when it happened. You know, what was going on? Who's this? What, what's, what's, is Trump standing for election? It was all people were talking about. And as they were talking about this, Jesus joins the conversation. And, and the Bible says uh, they were kept from recognizing him. And he asks them, you know, what are you talking about? And they were like, well, don't you know? Uh, are you visiting? Don't you know what's going on? Don't you know the things that happened here the last few days? And he says, what things? And they say about Jesus of Nazareth. And they're having this conversation with him, not recognizing him. He was a prophet. He was powerful in word and deed and uh, before God and before people. And they explain the whole thing, what the priests did, and they handed him over, and he was sentenced to death, and they're going on and going on. They're telling him, and there was some woman who went to his tomb, and now they can't find his body, and they saw angels, and even more, you know, two of our friends went to the tomb, and, and they also saw that it was empty. And then, and then this fellow who was walking with him, uh, he, he starts quite a deep conversation, you know, he says, don't you understand? How slow are you to believe what the prophets have said? Um, you know, didn't didn't the Messiah have to suffer these things so that, uh, and, and then enter into his glory? And he started with Moses and he went through the prophets and he was talking and telling them like big theology. Now compare this with the Mary's quick moment, eh? Anyway, so they still don't recognize him, and eventually it's night, and, and they're staying over, and they say to him, why don't you stay over with us? You know, you just sleep over, eat with us, sleep. And he says, sure. And then they're at the table, and they're eating. He took bread, verse 30 of Luke 24. He gave thanks, broke it, and gave it to them. And then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. <laughs> 
and bang, he disappears from their sight. And they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? And some, they knew, they knew, their hearts were burning. This connection was being reignited. This thing that they had with Jesus, this, this fire was being fanned. And eventually, with the breaking of the bread, bang. What is the significance of that? I'm not sure, to be honest. Even later, they, they go and they go to Jerusalem and they found the eleven and they told him, it's true, no, uh, we saw him as well and we didn't recognize him. This is how it happened. And then verse 35, they told what happened and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. I'm not exactly sure what the significance of this breaking of bread is, but I do know that it's a powerful, um, powerful symbol. Um, It's a powerful symbol that we use today when we celebrate Jesus' resurrection. When we celebrate his life, his death, his resurrection. It's... It's a powerful symbol of authority. It's a powerful symbol of God's presence in our life and victory over Satan. It's, it's a powerful message. The point is not the bread, but the point is what it represents in the spiritual realm. And we that believe have to remember this and have to understand the authority that we carry, authority that brings light into darkness and opens eyes that are shut. And maybe you're in a place in your life where momentarily your eyes have shut again and they need to be opened again. And maybe you just need to turn to Jesus, turn to God, and allow him to open your eyes. Maybe you need to break that bread and allow this fantastic truth that we're celebrating to yet again liberate your soul and your spirit. Anyway, let's move forward. So while they were discussing this, what happens? Here Jesus appears again. Some of the translation says he walked through the door, the locked door. The doors were locked because... They were afraid. He actually walks through the locked door. He appears amongst them. So a couple of significant things happen here. Firstly, he, sh- he says to them, Peace be with you. I like that. Peace. Then he shows him his hands and his side, and, and they see the wounds. Um, and they were overjoyed. Um, and then he says, As my Father has sent me, I'm sending you. And he breathes on them, and he says, Receive the Holy Spirit. Oh, that's powerful. Now remember, we have that same Spirit. It's as if we were there. It's as if he breathes on us and says, Receive my Spirit. And then he says another interesting thing. He says, if you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you don't forgive them, they are not forgiven. I don't understand this totally. But basically he's empowering them with the Holy Spirit 
and giving them authority, the same authority that he has to operate in his name. You know, be an agent of my redemption, my forgiveness. So Thomas misses out on this little event. Uh, and later, so they tell him what happened. They say, we have seen the Lord. This happens later now. Again, we have seen the Lord. And he says, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And a week later, they're gathering again. This time Thomas is there. And uh, uh, Jesus comes again, walks through the locked door, says, peace be with you again. And he says to Thomas immediately, put your fingers here, see my hands, reach your hands out, stop doubting and believe. And Thomas says, my Lord and my God. And then Jesus says, because you have seen me, you have believed. And blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. So, look, don't discredit Thomas here. At least he believes after he saw. So people always label him as doubting Thomas. But aren't we all there at certain points in our life where we just need more? We need to see more. And yes, it is more blessed to believe even though you don't see. John and Peter didn't see John, uh, but he believed. He saw the nothing. He saw the empty tomb. That was enough. But still, it's blessed if you get to the point where you see. And, And Jesus uniquely walks God walks with each of us and he meets us at our unique place of faith or doubt. And there are levels of faith and levels of doubt. Maybe you're right at the bottom. Maybe you're at a place where you are really doubting God, doubting whether he is really alive, doubting whether he sees you, cares for you, whether he even knows about you are you just a number or are you actually a name Um, and maybe you need him to just be very patient with you and to show himself to you again and you know what because he loves you so dearly he will do that he will meet you there I totally believe that and he will open your eyes to see or maybe you are blessed because you have not seen and you still believe I think glory glory that's fantastic but, but most of us at times in our lives find ourselves at that place where we are the doubting Thomas where we don't look around us and for the moment God does not feel real his miracle doesn't feel very Uh, present in your life there are miracles that you need and there's a bigger miracle of his life and resurrection and none of that feels totally there for you right now and I want to encourage you to just just turn towards him just allow just show up just be there just be available for him to show you Look up. Just look up and say, God, 
have mercy on me. Please show yourself to me. There's a last story I want to reflect on. One of my favorites. It's called Jesus and the Miraculous Catch of Fish. And uh, we all know these stories, or many of us know these stories. Let's just quickly look at it again. So Peter and Thomas and some of the guys were on the beach, and they were, they were on the way to fish. They said, let's go fishing. And uh, they went out on the boat, and no luck, no fish. So this random guy from the beach, now remember, <laughs> they know Jesus from his life on earth. They know him now post-resurrection again. They don't recognize him. So from their perspective, this random guy from the beach, he, he calls to them and he says, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, well, throw your net on the other side, on the right side of the boat, and you'll find some. And when they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. So there's this miracle. He does this crazy thing. He's like, okay, I'll show you a nice trick. And there, was, there, was, there were 153 fish. So when this happened, John said to Peter, it's the Lord. And as Simon Peter heard him say this, um, he wrapped his outer garment on, he just had his underpants on, I guess, and he jumped into the water. And the other disciples followed in the boat, and they all went to the beach. And when they landed, there was a fire of burning coals with some fish on and some bread. Jesus had made a braai. Isn't it great? His first miracle was making more wine at the wedding, and his last miracle is making lots of fish, and let's have a braai. So they dragged the net ashore. It was full of fish, 153, as I said, and apparently it's a big deal that the net was not torn. I'm not a fisherman. Um, and Jesus says, come and have breakfast, fish for breakfast. And uh, the Bible says, none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? Because at this point, they knew it was the Lord. There was this crazy miracle and that connection reignited. And then Jesus took the bread, gave it to them again, bread this very glorious moment and um, and did the same with the fish he had some fish, he gave them some fish but I'm sure they put some more fish on and when they'd finished eating Jesus said to Simon Peter the whole, the whole Simon do you love me thing do you love me more than these yes Lord, he said I, you know that I love you and then he says feed my lambs and he says again Simon, do you love me? And he says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he says again, take care of my sheep. Feed my lambs. Take care of my sheep. We can do a whole podcast just on this. The third time he says, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Again, Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, but do you blame Jesus, to be honest? Um, uh, and he said, do you love me? He said, and then he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Feed my lambs. Take care of my sheep. Feed my sheep. And then Jesus gives a prophecy about how Peter will die eventually. So this happens after the, the bri, after the a very special connection with Jesus. 
um, while they were fishing. And to me, there's something prophetic about this amazing amount of fish that they caught. Because remember, uh, Jesus is going to tell them uh, to go into the world and make disciples. You know, this is coming still. And he's sort of shown them, look, I'm, I'm giving you power. I'm giving you the Holy Spirit. There's lots of pieces of the puzzle that he's, that he's already broken open for them continuously. He's reminding them, look, I'm giving you bread again. Remember where your strength comes from. But then for Peter specifically, you know, Peter, he, he's, he failed Jesus, um, but he's still there. We will often focus on the fact how he failed Jesus, but let's focus on the fact that he is still there at this point. And he still loves Jesus. He truly loves Jesus. And then Jesus says, feed my lambs, feed my sheep, take care of the herd. There, that's what I'm giving. I'm sending you out with that. And I'm going to stop right here. I want to encourage you that, that, firstly, that you will see, that you will believe, that you will realize that the resurrected Christ wants to engage with you, is engaging with you, is showing himself to you, and you need a reply. And that may happen in one of many different ways. You know, the gardener moment, the the fishing moment, the walk, lots of theology, whatever, whatever the way that he's presenting himself to you, but the post-resurrected Christ is presenting himself to you. And he's asking, do you love me? Because that is the essence of what all of this is about. Not because we earn anything by loving him, but because that's just the core essence And he was taking Peter back to that. Even though Peter had failed, he knew Peter loved him. And he was affirming that. And affirming the instruction. Affirming the the big responsibility that was on Peter's shoulder, which he successfully, may I say, uh, completed. Look at where the church is today. Look how the church grew from what the 11 disciples started. And Peter could possibly have found himself at a place where he felt, I'm not worthy. He could have, you know, he, he could have gone lower than, than Thomas's doubting moments. But he didn't. I want to encourage you to feed the lambs, to take care of the sheep, and to love the resurrected Christ. Wherever you're at, don't become passive. Don't stagnate. Become part of this vibrant church, this vibrant community of believers who, have, who believe, who has seen, who has experienced, who know the truth, I want to share it. 
and allow God to transform your life at every level that is necessary. There may be areas in your life that need to be transformed. Allow that to happen. Lay it down. Thank you very much. Happy Easter.